Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. 2,000 days, 48,000 hours, 5.479 years. That's how long it's been since my life changed forever. June 24th, 2015 was the day that my daughter, Shana Elaine, left this earthly plane. Today is December 14th, 2020. This morning I woke up and I thought how things have changed since June 24th, 2015. So today I'm going to write some reflections on that. I got up this morning and I looked at my blog that I started. To me, amazingly, it was the day after Shana passed. Something told me to document this journey, similar to what C.S. Lewis did in his book, A Grief Observed. I didn't know why I was doing it. I just knew I had to. Then just a week after I started writing things down, I made the blog public on July 1st. As I read those early entries, the whole first week, AS time as I call it, time is now measured as before Shana's passing and after Shana's passing, so AS is after Shana. I woke up on that day, but I thought it was an ordinary day. I took a three or four mile walk. I came back and I sat down to work in my office. Then I heard Tawana calling to me saying something was wrong. I remembered the feeling that my wife and I had when we found Shane in her bedroom that morning. Her body wasn't yet cold. She couldn't be dead, I thought. My mind simply could not accept reality. I recalled the feeling of total disbelief, the feeling of shock. I remember crying out to God, literally screaming at God, what is going on? I remember screaming her name as loud as I could, thinking I could somehow shout loud enough to be heard across the void and call her back to me. The memories of falling to my knees before getting into the police car came back. My neighbor coming over and asking if everything was all right, and me not even being able to form the words to answer her. I remember the police officer gave me a ride to the hospital as my wife rode in the ambulance with Shana. I remember him offering to pray with me and me not even having a prayer to offer. I called my parents on the way to the hospital and asked them to pray. I remember my father saying to me that once you lost a child, things were never the same. Why did he say that, I thought. I haven't lost a child. Shana will be okay. She has to be okay. I knew Shana had not taken a breath in an impossibly long time, yet I clung to the idea that she would be all right. This could not happen to us. We sat in the waiting room with friends who showed up to support us. Then the chaplain came in. I knew this was bad. I didn't want to see the chaplain. I wanted to hear a doctor come in and tell me she'd started breathing and was ready to see us. The chaplain wanted to pray, so he prayed, but I couldn't stop him when he said, for God's will to be done, but I countered his prayer in my mind, to hell with God's will, just give me my daughter back. When the doctor finally came in and told us that they had pronounced Shana dead, I immediately had the thought, that's it, my life is over, my life will never be the same. But that was immediately followed by the thought that I had to take care of my wife and my other daughter, Kayla. I knew that whatever happened, the three of us had to stay together. I knew I had to be there for them. 
I had no idea what that was going to look like at the time. I just knew I had to do it. I held Tawana and committed to her that would be there for not having any idea of how I was going to do that. Walking out of the hospital that day was parallel to the day that Shana was born 15 and a half years earlier, and that parallel struck me even at that moment. We walked in the Good Samaritan Hospital empty-handed and walked out with Shana the day that she was born. We walked in the Westchester Hospital on that day, hoping to walk out with Shana, and we walked out leaving her body there. That walk to my brother's car was the hardest walk I've ever taken, leaving those hospital doors and getting into his car and leaving my baby there at that hospital. So here I sit, 5.48 years later, 48,000 hours later, 2,000 days later. I never had any idea that I would still be here on this earth. In his early days after her passing, whenever anyone said anything to me about the future, if it was more than a week in the future, I'd get angry because I couldn't even imagine living a week without my daughter being on this planet. When people talked about years in the future, I'd tell them I had no plan to be here for years. Now, I'll be 60 in May, which to me seems like an old man, and I really can't believe that I am still here. But what's happened in the course of the 2,000 days since Shana passed has really been nothing short of a miracle, and that's what I want to share with you. Now, some things are still the same. We're still running our business, Treasure Locks. We still live in the same house. Kayla went back to school right away. She was a freshman in college when Shana passed. She got her undergrad degree, and she'll finish her master's in a few months. But something had to change. After Shana passed, I realized very quickly that I had to do something about how I was living my life. I could not just accept where I was. I didn't want to live at that time. My only motivation for staying here was Tawana and Kayla, my other daughter. Now, that was enough short-term, and that got me through those first days, weeks, and even months. But I knew I could not just stay here and survive, that I had to somehow seek healing, even though healing seemed impossible. I didn't even want to heal, really. I just knew I had to. I thought that to honor Shana, I should be miserable for the rest of my life. I wanted people to say that after she passed, that Brian was never the same. I thought that would be a fitting way to show how much she meant to me. Just going through my life miserable and never really recovering. That would show people that I really, really loved her. But I remember going to a grief group early on, and there was a mother there, and her daughter had passed about 10 years prior. And this woman was angry and bitter. And I believe she went to the gravesite at least once a week. I I will never forget this woman. She talked about how unfair it was about her daughter's passing and how miserable she was and how miserable she would always be. And I realized that she was making everybody else in the room miserable also. I left that meeting knowing I never wanted to be that woman. You know, we can learn from everyone we come across. And I mean that literally everyone. And I learned from her that day. Her bitterness and anger taught me something. As I said, I learned I did not want to be that person. Something different had to happen. So I started reaching out to people, and someone recommended to me me that I reach out to a guy named Mark Ireland. I'd never heard of Mark Ireland, but he had written a couple of books about the passing of his son, Brandon. And Mark had started a group called Helping Parents Heal, along with a woman named Elizabeth Blasson. So I wrote an email to a stranger, which is pretty much unlike me, and I asked him for help. Mark wrote back to me, and he sent me a couple a copy of each of his books, which I read, and which were very helpful, and Mark and I formed a friendship. The next May, my daughter, Kayla, and my wife, Twana, planned a vacation for the three of us. Now, the girls loved going to the beach, um, but Kayla wanted to go somewhere different, and we always like going someplace warm, so we decided to go to Phoenix, Arizona. We had never been to the desert together, so we went to Phoenix. 
Now, in Phoenix, Elizabeth Bassan lived. As I mentioned earlier, she's one of the co-founders of Helping Parents Heal. I had talked to Elizabeth before, but I had no idea that she lived near Phoenix. So when we were out there, we decided to get together with Elizabeth and meet her for breakfast. And we did that. She brought a couple other people from Helping Parents Heal. And we decided to start a chapter of Helping Parents Heal, Twana and I, here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where we live. Now, that turned into the online group for Helping Parents Heal, which was the Helping Parents Heal online group on Facebook, which I helped to run for several years after that. And we grew that up to about 6,000 people. So meanwhile, in 2019, I started taking a mentorship from a business coach. This is a guy named George Cow, And I met George because he was on Suzanne Giesman's podcast. And I figured if Suzanne Giesman's worked with this guy, he must be a great guy. So I'd taken a class from him. I decided to take this mentorship from him. It was a year-long thing. And um, as I was taking that, um, a friend sent me a message saying that she had run across a life coaching course that she thought I'd be interested in. Now, this was strange because I had never mentioned life coaching. I really didn't have any interest in life coaching. I certainly hadn't said anything to her about it. But she's a medium and she's intuitive. So frankly, I trusted her intuition and I thought I used my intuition and said, maybe I'll go ahead and take this course. So I took the life coaching course. I thought it could help me with my work with helping parents heal. And then something dawned on me. I realized that I wasn't doing the mentorship with George for my treasure locks business. I was doing it because I was supposed to start a new business. So in April of 2019, I started Grief to Growth and I, I built the website. I wrote the book Grief to Growth. And then in June, I started the podcast. Um, when I wrote the book, I wanted to create something short and easy to digest. And I wanted to do it from the perspective of someone who had first-hand experience with child loss. There are a lot of, quote, experts out there. And I'd say, quote, because we can become experts, I believe, in different ways, some by education, some by experience, and some by both. And having my experience, I wanted to share that with people. And I wanted to share the real, raw emotions that I had felt. And I also wanted to share the tools that had worked for me up to that point, the things to do and the things not to do. So I took everything I knew and I poured it into one big, long Google document and created the book that I put out. And a couple and a couple months after the book, I started the podcast. So as I write this, it's a year and a half after I started the podcast and I wrote the book. The podcast is actually approaching 50,000 downloads. I think we'll probably hit 50,000, maybe even by the end of the year. Uh, I've got nearly 2,000 subscribers on YouTube, should hit 2,000 by the end of the year. A couple of the videos have gone somewhat viral with over 20,000 views. I just got an email from YouTube earlier today saying that uh, people had spent over 1.6 million minutes uh, listening to my YouTubes this year, which was very gratifying. So I'm really uh, appreciative of that. Uh, I am teaching classes now. It's kind of a sidetrack. I developed a course on racism, which I've taught several times and has gone over really, really well. It's called Overcoming Racism. Uh, this this past weekend, I taught a course with Robin Lansong, a course on how to overcome grief and have a new view of death. It's the second time, Robin, I've offered that course, and it's, gotten, it's done very well. I've also taught courses with Dr. Terry Daniel, uh, some for the San Francisco Theological Seminary and some with Terry and myself kind of on our own. Uh, Terry and I are finishing up another one of those courses this coming Sunday. I've spoken at the Afterlife Conference uh, that Terry puts on. I've spoken at the Helping Parents Heal Conference, which was online this year. Uh, I hosted a grief panel for the International Association of Near-Death Studies uh, earlier this year because their conference was online also. So my coaching and my grief work also continue to grow. And I can tell you it's extremely gratifying when a parent 
or any other griever tells me that my work has helped them. So I'm really uh, proud and happy with the way that that is going. It seems like recently I've been coming across a lot of parents who are very early in their grief. And I'm talking about like weeks or months. And I'm really grateful that I can remember those early days, those weeks and months, what they felt like. So I can relate to what those parents are going through. And I can tell you it's nothing short of hell on earth. And I wrote about that in my blog in the early days. I actually had a blog post that was titled, um, I think I called it Hasatan. It was about uh, about basically we lived through hell on earth. So last week I was teaching the class. I was working with a guy named Jeff Jansen. Uh, we teach a, a course slash book a study called 10 Life-Changing Lessons from Heaven. And it's a book about wisdom from the near-death experience. And this group was all women who have had, who have children in spirit. So these are all mothers who children have, have lost children, to use a common term. Uh, no children are ever lost, but to use it, that simple phrase. So most of the women there were just a few months in. And I really want to address those people because my heart really goes out to people that are early in, in grief. When I first started this journey, I had no idea that I would ever make it. And I certainly didn't think I'd ever be happy again. I remember looking at people like Elizabeth Bassan and others who had been in this journey longer than I had and seeing that they were not only surviving, but they were thriving. And a lot of them were actually joyful. And frankly, I didn't think I could get to where they are. And I didn't even want to be where they were. Um, they were joyful and doing fulfilling work. I was just thinking that time about surviving. And I really thought that would never be me. And I talked to a mother a few days ago, and this was in that class I was telling you about the 10 life-changing lessons from heaven. And this woman was broken. And I mean, like totally broken. She had lost faith in God. Um, she had been through other losses in her life, including deaths of other people. But those were other than the death of her daughter. When her daughter passed away, there was something different about that that just broke her, that really crushed her faith in God, crushed her faith in the Bible, and she didn't know who God was anymore. Subsequently, she didn't know who she was without the foundation of God in the Bible. And as I listened to this woman pour her heart out, my, my heart just broke for her. And I just listened earlier about a, a podcast about the value of despair. And the thing about despair, it's a point that where you just don't even know who you are anymore. You don't know what's right or wrong. You don't know what's up and down. The world makes no sense to you. Uh, in the spiritual community, it's called the dark night of the soul. And most, if not all the saints have gone through this. It's really interesting when you read the writings, you know, people like Mother Teresa even went through these points, or, or actually for her for a very long time, where they felt unworthy, where they felt unsure, where they didn't know what was going on. And even Jesus experienced this dark night of the soul, actually more than once. If you think about the Gospels in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was there praying, uh, knowing that he was be going, going to be going to the cross and, and sweat was coming down from his brow, like, or blood was coming from his brow like sweat. And he was tormented by the thought of what was ahead of him when he was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, this, this despair is something that we all go through. So it's not all, but we go through and it's nothing to be ashamed of. And as I was spoke with her, my heart went out to her, but I really looked at her and I saw a saint in the making, frankly. Um, I saw someone who got into the point where she was broken wide open. I saw an empty vessel that was ready to receive. Uh, I, the phrase, the cracks are the places where the light comes in, came to my mind. She was seeking and she was asking questions. She was reaching out for a new view because circumstances had ripped away her old view. She was ready to to grow. And I, and I know 
that might sound like a, a, an unsympathetic thing to say or a, a lot uncompassionate thing to say. And it's, it's really, really not. I know what that feeling is like where, where, where people are and we need to honor that, the feeling that people are in, but also at the same time, trust that people can and will heal if they're willing to. And I saw that in her. Now I was listening to a, a wisdom book a few days ago. And one of the things it said was, if you're climbing a mountain and you feel like giving up, it's okay to give up. Just keep moving your feet. And this came from a Japanese philosophy called Marita, the Marita therapy, which basically says, whatever your feelings are, don't let them get in the way of doing what you need to do. That doesn't mean don't honor your feelings. It doesn't mean don't feel your feelings. But what it means is, regardless of whatever your feelings are, you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep moving forward. And this really resonated with me because, ironically, I heard it. I was listening to the book. As I was taking my morning walk, I was literally putting one foot in front of the other. Now, I've walked every morning for the past several years, actually, going back to before Shana's transitions. And after Shana's transitions, I turned that morning walk into a walking meditation. And I actually do this little exercise with myself. I would imagine that each step I was taking was a day. And as I left my house, each step brought me closer to the step that would bring me back home to my physical house. So every step I would take, I would think this is another step closer and this and this is just like a day in my life. So each day brought me one day closer to the day I would arrive home with the capital H and see Shana again. Now, interestingly enough, um, a friend of mine I met on Facebook, her name is Carolyn Clapper. She is a fabulous medium. So she'd been seeing me post these daily updates of my walks and my steps. And she thought, this guy's crazy. He just walks all the time. I should be, you know, I should get motivated and do more walking or something. But one day Shana dropped in on her and said, the reason my daddy is taking those walks is he's trying to catch up with me. And Carolyn actually reached out to me and delivered that message to me from Shana, which is interesting. It became a very start, a start of a friendship uh, that I have with Carolyn to this day. We, we talk and, and Shana's dropped on her other times as well. But it was 100% true that as I was taking my walk, I was doing this meditation, imagining myself making a round trip from my home back to my home, from my home in my house here, literally, and from my capital H home back to my capital H home when I get back to see Shana again. And today... I'm on step 2000 of that round trip journey back to home, 2000 days since Shana has passed away. So whether we're climbing a mountain or we're taking a walk, the analogy is the same. I don't always feel like taking my morning walks. In fact, many mornings when I first leave the house, I don't really think I'm going to be able to do the seven miles. I know I've done it before. I know I did it just yesterday, but it's like, it just seems like it's forever. It's about 11,000 steps for me um, to do. I, I do. I do a little over 7,000 um a little over seven miles. But as I keep putting one foot in front of the other, it doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter if I feel like I'm going to make it or not. I will eventually get to my destination. Now, in those early days, I didn't think healing was possible, as I said. I didn't even want healing, but I kept taking the steps anyway. I kept doing the things I needed to do. I kept doing my meditations. I kept doing my gratitude practice. I did my daily walks. So even if you're like I was and you say, there's no way I'm going to possibly heal, I'm not even saying to trust you're going to heal. That'll come later. Just keep doing the things that it takes for you to heal. And I got to be honest with you. To this day, I have times I don't feel like I'm going to make it. There isn't a day that goes by when I don't long to be home now. I mean, I really, this pretty much is a daily thought for me. 
uh, there's a there's a song that plays in my head. It's an Alan Parsons song uh, that talks about where do we go from here now that all the children have growing up, have grown up, and they've moved out, and nobody gives us a damn. Um, so that song plays in my head a, a lot of times, you know, even to this day, but I keep doing what I have to do. So I'll wake up in the morning sometimes. And my first thought is actually, literally, I'm tired. Why do I have to get up and do this again? But then I do my gratitude practice I, every morning before I get out of bed. I think of three things that I'm grateful for. And these don't have to be big things. Sometimes it's just, I'm grateful that I have a warm, cozy bed to sleep in. Or during COVID, I'm grateful that I can take a deep breath. Um, it could be little things or it could be big things. I could be uh, back in the day when I had plans, it might be that I'm going to have you know dinner with friends tonight. But I would do this gratitude practice. I do this gratitude practice before I get out of bed. And then I think, what do I need to get done today? And I plan my day for the things I need to do just for today. Not for tomorrow, not for the next 2,000 days, not for the next 30 years. Just what do I need to get done today? Because it overwhelms me sometimes to think about, you know, a very long time. And I do that one day at a time. I get up and I take my walk. And next thing you know, one day leads to another. And here I am 2,000 days later. Now, the milestones that we go through are opportunities to stop and take stock. You know, human beings... um, we live our lives day to day, but sometimes it's good to, to set these milestones and, and have a reflection. Um, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. So I think it's important every once in a while to just stop and take a glance backward. So that day in the hospital in June 2015, I thought my life was over. But what I realized is our stories never end. It was the end of a chapter. But as one chapter closes, another chapter always opens. Now, you may say, well, death, that's the final chapter. That's the end of the book. But even death is just the end of another chapter. We don't really die. We step out of our bodies and we keep moving. Now, death is a chapter on the horizon, on the horizon that we can't see beyond. Death is like the end of a horizon that we can project the rest of our lives kind of, and we're usually wrong. But when it comes to death, you know, we say, well, that's the end. But trust me, if there's one thing I've learned for sure in the past 2000 days is that death is not even the end of the book. So what about you? Where are you on your journey? Now, as I record this, it's, it's as I said, it's December. It's also the close of the weirdest year in memory of everybody that I know. It's just 2020. 2020 has been a crazy year. We've all gone through probably more than we want to go through and maybe more than some of us have gone through in the rest of our lifetimes. The loss of jobs, the loss of loved ones, the loss of freedom, crazy political climate. So we typically take this time, the end of the year, to reflect on where we've been and where we want to be. So why don't you do that? Take some time to reflect on the journey that got you to this point. What is it that you've gone through in the last year or several years that you didn't think you could make? And what can you do from here going forward? I want to end with this. If you're going through hell, just keep going. And remember that what one man can do, another man can do. So if I can do this, believe me, anybody can. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a great day. Hey there, if you like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.